if you already have an idea kind of set and there's something very specific, then I'd say, go ahead and do it and let people know that you're working on it, right? I think also advocate for your own work, right? Don't work on it in a silo and then come out when it's all ready. Let yes. them know and keep yes. them posted as you're going through it. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Uh, here's how I'll approach it. Even if there's no response, just putting it out there, people will see it. From Seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruin, and you're in the CTO studio. We're going deep on open source communities in this episode. Jesse White, CTO at OpenNMS, joins us and I grilled him on all the nuances I've experienced inside of open source projects. But he showed up with grace and poise. Towards the end, we talk about how he uses a leadership coach to excel in his role. See you there. Jesse White is in the CTO studio. Are you a founder of OpenNMS? Uh, no, not an original founder of OpenNMS. I did join later, but I have been part of the organization here for almost nine years. So. And you're uh, the CTO? Uh, yeah, I'm the chief technical officer here at the OpenNMS group. Give us an idea of the, what does OpenNMS do and the size of the organization. Just help us understand scale. OpenNMS is an open source network monitoring platform intended, of course, to monitor large enterprise networks at scale and give network operators visibility into all the systems there that make the networks work, right? So pretty broad domain and exciting space to uh, be in. The software has been around for, I mentioned, over you know 20 years now, so quite a mature platform. Here in the organization, we're pushing close to uh, 90 people now. So there's been a lot of growth there in the last several years. Prior to that, however, we were a very small organization for a long time, you know, meeting about, you know, 10, 15, 20 people or so, tight-knit group, and then, you know, a lot of growth there in the last couple of years. And your engineering team size? We have roughly 50 engineers there right now, so based on 90, a bit more than half the organization are engineers, developers, engineering managers, etc. I'm always curious about this. What is your team topology? Do you have squads? Do you form and reform into pods how do you manage that yeah so it's been um of course evolving as we grow right we've been trying different things our current model that we're operating is working with our product teams so effectively matrixed environments so the teams that you're on don't correspond to necessary line management and then we have different disciplines there within the team paired with a product manager focus in a specific area of the solution and then we work to, you know, start transforming towards that model at the beginning of the year here in 2022. And I made some, you know, good progress there. With the product owners inside of this matrix, do, do they report up to like a CPO or a VP of product or do you have them all under you? That is a bit unique here. So the product managers or, or owners report into a senior director of product management that does report into me. I do oversee both the product management function and I have a VP engineering and a senior director architecture innovation as well. So I help oversee both product management and the engineering disciplines there currently. So lucky. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, interesting. You have there to add, I think 
it helps, you know, that alignment there between the two groups, right? That healthy push and pull that we always see between product and engineering, right? Uh, and then there's one person responsible for it all, and <laughs> I'm the lucky one. I do wonder if deciding what to build and how it gets built, I never know. Should there be a separation of those concerns? Uh, I guess with you, your company being a, and I want to get into the open source component of this. How do you build a business around this open source and, and managing the the open source community through this? But in your case, with a product that is so incredibly technical, I'm assuming, it helps for you as the CTO to have both the what we build and how we build it report into you. Another part to add in there, I think, is the maturity of the platform as well, right? This is not something, you know, necessarily brand new, right? An existing platform, you know, lots of complexity there to it. So where I find myself is looking to, you know, pull the best of what we already have, right? And look to build, you know, new solutions and services off of that, right? And so there you need in-depth understanding of what's there today and product and how all that fits together, right? How often are you in the deadlock conversation? I think I know, but I'll just be (laughs) (laughs) How often do you find that you have to step in and break deadlocks around priority? Not too often, to be honest. There's a you know pretty good team there. That's great. I'll of course find myself weighing in, right? But there's already uh, you know some tendencies there, so that's good. Great. Well, let's get into the open source community. So. I think a lot of people listening to this are contributing to open source. Certainly, we're all using open source libraries. The whole internet's built on open source. How do you, as CTO at OpenNMS, how do you manage these communities? How do you create enthusiasm in the community while also creating enthusiasm in the business model? Is it the classic free to use if you're self-supporting it versus the fully managed service that is a paid service? Is that how it works? So a lot to unpack there on open source. So I'll take um, maybe just first mention that I did actually start off as an open source user of the product even before I joined the organization. So I did actually come through the open source community from user to contributor to developer and, and so forth, right? So you have that unique perspective on things here. As for the community itself, right? I think we do most of our work there in the open and try and encourage that as much as possible, giving visibility in what's in progress and you know, you know, where we're going as much as possible there to our users. There, I think the platform itself, again, it's been around for a long time, like I mentioned. Our users tend to be you know, network operators, system administrators, et cetera. So the way in which, you know, they contribute mostly is by, you know, using the software, testing it, reporting bugs, giving feedback, et cetera, you know, adding extra configuration for devices and so forth. But the users don't tend to be, I guess, you know, uh, code contributors since the stack is written in Java and all those technologies. It's few and far between the users that are also contributors there to the uh, product. In terms of the business side of things, right, all the code for our products are open source, right? We do have different flavors of the distribution, you know, analogous to Red Hat's Fedora and RHEL distributions, right? One is the, you know, latest and greatest, you know, self-supported. Uh, the other one lags behind a bit more and is that enterprise-grade product. But, you know, the source code for both of those are available. 
you mentioned managed services, right? And then how that works. So traditionally, we've been an on-premise based product only. A lot of our growth has been a big part of us moving towards the, the cloud. That's kind of what we're, you know, having to navigate now, right? Is, you know, still building, you know, a cloud platform, staying true to our open source roots, right? And still, you know, maintaining that competitive edge there as well and keeping that good balance. How does one do that? How do you nurture a community that has probably strong feelings about where the product needs to go? I do have thoughts about the actual product roadmap. I'm assuming just because it's open source doesn't mean that the roadmap of what should be developed next is that a meritocracy or, you know, when you're working with your VP of product and you're looking at where the product should go, what happens when there's diversion? between what the community is looking for and their, you know, and where we want to take it as an organization. Yes. And by community, I'm, I'm always referring to the developer, the developer community. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough balance to strike. I'll, I'll admit, right. You know, in a lot of cases at the end of the day, it is, you know, business and organization, right. So we do have to, you know, look at the future. And I think, you know, there that helps maybe communicating the strategy that we do have with our community so that we can work together towards that as opposed to pulling it different directions, all right? So there's our contributions right now from the open source community and other developers, I think, tend to be the specific, you know, little bug fixes, enhancements, et cetera, you know, kind of point updates to the product rather than big sweeping changes. Those still tend to be driven by, you know, the core developers that do work for the organization. So we don't find ourselves very often in positions where we get contributions that tend to pull it in, you know, a very different direction than where we'd like to go. Another thing to consider there as well is, you know, at the end of the day, we'll be the ones responsible for supporting it, right, to our commercial users and so forth, and having to maintain those contributions long term. So we do have to weigh that in there. So I'm hearing you say that the core group of developers who who are working on this, they all work for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one way to do it is just to bring them into the company and have them be the loudest or the most communicative or the most open and transparent about where things are going. Yep, and that's where we've, uh, I guess, a lot of our, or some of our, we're hired from the community, right? So when we do see, you know, active contributors out there. (laughs) That's a great funnel. We do tend to pull them in, right? And again, I've found myself in that position too. Yeah, I wonder, that's actually a great point. Open source project as a f- strategy for increasing your hiring funnel. Definitely, right? When folks get firsthand experience, they know the stack, they know the tools, right? They're excited about it. And then they, they come in. And then wait, I can get paid to do this, what I love. Awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. You're obviously on GitHub then and it's all you know open. Yeah, so we're on, we're on GitHub. The OpenNMS project is the core. There's a bunch of related smaller projects there as well. Most are licensed AGPL, the uh, V2, V3. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the functionality of OpenNMS. You know, I think a lot of companies are scaling. There's a lot of focus on infrastructure, cloud providers, immutable infrastructures. Are you in that space? at all our current focus is on the network right so we're talking 
switchers, routers, you know, SD-WAN controllers, wireless controllers, et cetera, the core networking, you know, services that, that drive enterprises. So that's been our bread and butter there is focus on monitoring those. We also support things like NetFlow and doing traffic analysis to understand where bandwidth utilization goes and what devices are using it and so forth. So really about network faults and performance is the focus. Um, that said, in the product, there are other features as well that monitor servers or other types of infrastructure there too. But I say the core focus is on the network. And as you mentioned, right, a lot of the, you know, we know organizations are moving to the cloud, you know, cloud providers, networking is fundamentally changing and how that goes there as well. That's where we're looking at putting our product there in the future and adding those capabilities. But the current focus still is on those traditional core network technologies. So large enterprise has thousands of devices. We're deployed at very large enterprises that have thousands of routers, right? Thousands of switches. And they want visibility on all those. And then they're able to deploy our platform, have it monitor all those and prevent, uh, provide a single pane of glass on all that network infrastructure. Are you seen as the leader in the community? To some degree, yeah. I mean, I do represent the product and the voice of it. I am a leader there. As to my role, I'm you know, stretched in different ways. So I'm not necessarily present there day to day as I used to be. So there's other uh, louder voices there sometimes. So. I'd say I'm one of the leaders. What would you say is your responsibility to the community as far as influence goes, as far as speaking, giving talks, relationships, networking? What do you see your role as inside of that open source community? I see my role as trying to be as transparent as possible and painting a picture of where we're going as an organization and what impacts that has to the open source project that we have, helping ensure that folks understand where it is we're going, the impacts that'll have on them. That's one of the roles. Also, leading by example, you know, still continuing to work to contribute to the code as well and use the software and, you know, help out there anywhere I can, I think would be another good piece there on how I see my role with respect to the, the open source community. Still contributing code. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Still find time here and there to be able to do that. Keep my uh, skills sharp. (laughs) Yeah. The opportunities to speak, is that at sort of vendor conferences or industry conferences? Or do you you go to more user group conferences or or programming language conferences? What what do you like to go to? The places where we tend to go to as an organization are open source conferences. Scale, I think, is, you know, one recently. I think there's uh, All Things Open that's coming up there as well. So it tends to be open source conferences that what we speak at. And then I've been a bit quiet there with our conference present as of late, but uh, looking to pick that up and get back out there. I'm curious to know what, if you were to reflect on the current state of open source communities, if you consider psychological safety, if you consider diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, it it feels like we're seeing such a beautiful shift towards DEI and and really considering all aspects of, of equality inside of communities. Are you seeing the open source communities follow suit? Or do you see some challenges inside of open source communities when it comes to that? 
communities being, you know, open and accepting and welcoming yeah. folks. I want to riff a bit on the state of open source communities. As it relates to, or in general? I think in general. I think in general, if you have a pulse on that, I think I'm always curious about the leadership and the management within these communities. I can speak to our experience or my experience with OpenMS and we do tend to work with a lot of other open source projects as well, right? So participating in those forums, you know, enhancements and dialogue with the other projects that we either integrate with or actually incorporate in our product and, and so forth. There, I guess, what I've seen over the last several years, definitely an uptick in open source activity, which is awesome. I see a lot more organizations open sourcing their products and, you know, core services there as well. It tends to be pieces that they then use to compose a greater solution, right? So the open source these products are these point pieces that they work in their stack. And I see a lot of, you know, open dialogue around them and, you know, working community sessions, you know, inviting folks to come and talk and listen on where things are going and so forth. So it is very open, very, very inviting. And our experience in contributing to these projects whether it be, you know, in the form of testing and reporting issues or actual code, I think it's been, you know, very positive and people are welcoming. I like to pull it in and, and if things aren't getting the right attention, you know, then you get in the forums and start talking to people and, you know, it's all, it's all very good. So nothing but positive experiences there. So I'm hearing you say that there's the interaction around the code, which is in the form of issues, logging, branching, committing, code reviewing, that in and of itself is not the health of the community. It's Agreed, yeah. It's the additional, let's arrange for meetups or let's do a, a big virtual conference or let's all meet in some random place on the planet and then let's, do a, let's, let's hang. So it's all those additional, the facilitation of humans interacting. That's where I guess I mentioned that, you know, the forums and channels in which you're able to join. And, and that's ultimately where the community is present, I think, day to day, right? Whereas these, let's say, conferences or talks are kind of like, you know, point in time. But day to day, where people hang out are in Slack, are on the forums, right? And, there. and that's where I think a lot of the, the magic happens. And that's where we can really get a sense of the community and its pulse, and how those conversations aren't going. Looking at us, uh, specifically OpenMS, you know, we have an open chat server. We use Mattermost, an open source project. And we have users joining there almost every day and, you know, coming with questions or problems. And uh, our staff, you know, chop in and help. We see people from the community help others out. And it's just great to see that. Do you have any tips for CTOs listening to this who, who want to start or want to open source some of their projects? Yeah, I think it's not sufficient, I guess, just to put the code out there, right? Kind of like the point you're making, right? That's one piece of it. So you also have to think of the community aspect of it. And sure, to really realize the value of open source, I mean, building a community around those projects, and inviting people in and then making things as transparent as possible. I think that's when we'll realize the true value of open source as opposed to, of course, just putting the code up on a GitHub repo. I guess 
just putting any code up is also a question like what which part of your project do you open source so you want you know something that's ultimately you know useful to others and they can use and deploy you know there in some capacity if you know they're if you put you know a specific piece of library that has no function outside of the product or you know totally integrated in other things again won't see the real value there so definitely something that can standalone or with other open source components. Often when we talk inside of seven CTOs, we talk about the need for CTOs to shield their organizations, to ensure the continued growth and viability, and then the protection of the company from a technological standpoint. So oftentimes we think about new innovations and technologies, potentially new competitors that come into the space. We look at the internal threats to our company uh, through employees, key employees leaving, external threats, of course, getting hacked or breaches. On the more positive side is I always encourage CTOs to say, hey, what are we all building that we've accidentally created something beautiful or you know, some library or some service or something that really we can do something with. And maybe it's not core to the product. Maybe it's, you know, something that some development team inside of your organization came up with. And I love the idea of then saying, hey, can we open source this specific aspect? What I like about what you said is is now open sourcing, it's one thing, i.e. uploading the repo to GitHub. I mean, but that's not going to do anything. Then it is the work that we do and the massaging and the nurturing, A, through our own developers who you know are out there coding and contributing, advocating. And I think through that activity, you can now start building all the necessary community tools around that. Yep. And that's where I see the real, real value, getting that piece of code out there, building that community around it, having to see other people use it and create new solutions off of it and build other things, right? And I think that's the real value in open source. Do you have some some stories about where things go wrong inside of an open source community? I what comes to mind for me is so often the core teams start splitting or they start having irreconcilable differences and then you know you have these forks of projects that where where developers take things into different directions. That stuff sounds so sad and scary to me. I have, you know, witnessed that in other projects there. And, you know, a few things come to mind where we've seen that behavior, right? Someone, they don't agree, you know, they'll fork, create another project, and then start another community that are, they're all together. And yeah, that's, of course, not ideal in many cases. We've been lucky to not have that case here at MS. We have had other organizations try to take the code and incorporate in their products without respecting the open source license, which I guess is some degree but we've been i guess you know lucky to nurture the contributors and not have that problem what is the license that open nms is under so we're agpl agpl okay. license, GPL. is license management an issue at all at your level that there's some things that you have to consider or scan for or yeah yeah definitely yeah so i can happy to go into that a bit deeper here yeah so for example we do have you know a distribution of our product that is called, you know, OpenMS powered by, whereby 
other organizations can take our stack, incorporate in their own products, you know, that may be proprietary or commercial, and then resell it. For us to be able to, to do that and change the license of the code so that, you know, another enterprise can resell it, we need to be able to own all the, you know, all the IP there or have specific components that with licenses that are compatible with that. So even though we are, you know, licensed AGPL, we avoid using any GPL or AGPL libraries in our own code that are part of that powered by distribution. Oh, there is, you know, some conscious license management that takes place. And, you know, whereby there's smaller point solutions or other projects, we do use other licenses there as well, you know, situation depending. Do you recommend any license scanning services or, uh, or libraries just off the top of your head? I don't expect you to know, but do you have any? I'm blanking on the name theory. Okay, right don't, worry, don't worry, don't worry. We do use some there as part of the build to audit, right? And yeah, that's a fascinating conundrum, right? Because the business needs the software, the ideation of the products, the powered by idea. I'm assuming there was a great moment of high-fiving when the company came up with this idea. And then you're like, oh my goodness, but we have to now cascade downwards to see if everything we're using actually supports that kind of use. Right. And we had to change some libraries and some code there to accomplish wow. that whenever we did that audit initially. So, you know, then we're conscious of that going forward. If you consider your own journey, you, you have a, a wonderful, happy path in a way. Like you use the product, you then contribute to the product, then you get hired by the product and then you become the CTO of the product. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yep, yep, exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Yep. Let's go all the way to the people listening who prolific users of open source, building their companies on open source, but haven't ever contributed to open source. So I'd love for you to take me back to maybe the first time you decided, you know what, I'm actually going to, you know, I see a bug or I see a, something that's an easy fix. I want to help. Can you speak to the audience who wants to contribute to open source but doesn't know where to begin or how to start or which projects to pick? How did that work for you? Right. So, so I'll start by you know, going back to, I guess, where I was when I first contributed to OpenNMS. I started off, I was working at a managed service provider, and we had a need to deploy a network, network monitoring tool. You know, I evaluated bunch of different open source projects, eventually found OpenNMS, got it deployed, right? And then I was like, okay, well, you know, how do I effectively use this tool? I found myself, you know, joining, reaching in the community and mailing lists and just starting asking questions, right? Best practices and, and so forth, right? So I think that was, you know, my first kind of connection with the community, even prior to any code contribution. Which speaks to the importance then of those community mechanisms around the actual project, because it actually is a way for newcomers to come in and to feel like, wow, the main person just replied to my question, or my question got answered within a day or two of me posting it. These are all, I guess, important catalysts to help draw people in. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. Yeah. And then you see, you know, some of the same names that you see in, you know, the come in and you recognize these, these people and, you know, they're there and they, they care about, you know, how people are using this and, you know, want to help. Um, that's a great start. And then, 
the situation I found myself in was that the product didn't necessarily do everything that we wanted it to do. But, you know, broad eco, broad platform, we had some specific scenarios that we wanted to do. Then I want to say, okay, well, how do we solve this, right? You know, how do we do this? Well, it's open source. You know, let's just go ahead and make the changes and add it, right? And then at this time, I'm a, you know, fairly junior developer. I don't know Java very well. And, you know, there's this large code base. How do I even get started on yeah, this, right? I mean, it's, ter- it's terrifying. <laughs> it can be, right? And again, that's where the power of the you know, community fits in. How do I get started here? And that dialogue and so forth. And I started off with some very minor enhancements. Turns out I'd found someone else that was working on something very similar that, that I wanted to do. And then so we worked together, we built on top of each other's work and, you know, came up with a solution that was eventually contributed back. That's a bit about that initial journey interaction there with, with the product. And of course it grew, you know, more and more involved from, uh, you know, from there. As you're making these changes, don't you feel kind of freaked out that you're doing duplicate work or someone else is going a different Direction. You know, I sometimes imagine an open source project as you arrive at a building site and you've got all these workers working and everyone knows what to do. Everyone's got their orders and you're just like running around like, can I help? And then this one group is like, no, 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 we're good. And then you go to the, you run to the other side of the construction site and it's, you're not even wearing a helmet. I got to run over to my and get my signed in. Like I just imagine a chaotic construction zone yeah it depends on you know the size of the project and community right think of some you know large open source projects where that it may very much feel like that right <laughs> with a lot of developer in this case openms was a fairly small tight-knit community at that point and you can have a good sense there and again talk to most of the people that were contributing on the code that said you know even in these larger projects i think i'd still if I were interested in contributing to one of those, like you were talking about, one of those construction sites, right? All this stuff happening. You know, I started by by asking around, right? Hey, you know, is there a team or a particular area where, you know, that needs help? And then I get that guidance and, you know, go over there, talk to them, right? And, and step in. Or if you already have an idea kind of set and there's something very specific, then I'd say go ahead and do it and let people know that you're working on it, Right. I think also advocate for your own work, right? Don't work on it in a silo and then come out when it's all ready. Let yes. them know and keep yes. them posted as you're going through it. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Uh, here's how I'll approach it. Even if there's no response, just putting that out there, people will see it. I think you blew my mind a little bit now because uh, you know you have open source. And what I'm hearing you say is the key to open source is openness, not just of code, but of disposition and how I approach it and you know one can be open about stuff and not because exactly what you said is the thing that that I've tried which is oh I'm gonna I'm gonna grab this PR without any any or not PR but I'm gonna grab this bug without anyone noticing and I'm gonna quickly try and fix it and do something and then I'm gonna do my pull request and and, and by the time I do it someone else has fixed it I think what I'm learning from you is the key to sort of coming alongside a product or an, a project is that openness of communication, engagement, being curious, asking questions, taking deep breaths, asking more questions. 
I love that. Yep, I think yeah, that's exactly that's exactly. Sounds it. like I sounds like I you need to hold my hand <laughs> while I do the typing, and then we'll go on a journey together, and we'll, <laughs> we'll contribute to some events. <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> That's cool. No, I, I thank you for that. I, I appreciate the you know that that insight. The final question on open source: the dichotomy of contributing back. So, at, at your company, do you have a fork that is purely yours that has to constantly be kept updated? Do you merge the community's version back into yours, and then you merge components of yours back into the community? Is it sort of that type of management? As I mentioned before, there's different distributions of OpenNMS. We have the main open source one, which is OpenNMS Horizon, and then our enterprise long-term support release is Meridian, right? So oh, okay, okay. The code flows from Horizon into Meridian. Got it. Got GitHub it. repository for Meridian is you know not publicly available on yes, GitHub, yes. but the source code is, and that's part of the product and is made available to those who subscribe for it. Okay, so would you consider Meridian then to be the competitive edge, the sort of features that you don't, that you need at your company in order to have some sort of competitive advantage? Is, is, or is it more focused on, we want to have a stricter product development roadmap for the Meridian branch or fork? It's more focused on, ultimately on long-term support and stability more so than is features. The features actually, new features and developments and innovations actually happen in Horizon. And that's where they you know, get matures, get stable and so forth, and then end up in Meridian thereafterwards, but once they've been proven. So it's more of a long-term support, you know, stability at play than it is specific in features. So people who want to get started will know that there's the horizon version which is probably more features probably a little more aggressive in its release cycles exactly whereas meridian slows things down so that you can predict the maintenance cost basically right and then have a stable environment there for your production setup so whenever you need to upgrade after a library update because of a vulnerability or the like then you're able to get that you know just with a point really simple patch, right? Where in the case of Horizon, you may have to go to a new major version and take on some functionality there as well, right? Or, or changes and so forth. Let's switch gears a little bit to your your role as CTO. You know, I think you mentioned 50-ish direct and indirect reports, basically through engineers and product. What would you say are like your top two or three focuses as the CTO of a department of 50-ish people, where would you say, if you think about the future, the next six to 12 months, like what are the things that you are focused on in your capacity as a CTO? Right. There's a few for sure. Top focuses, of course, again, getting clarity on the product direction and just making sure that that's clearly communicated there to the organization, right? And then everyone understands you know, where it is we're going, how we expect to get there, and what it is we're all working towards, right? So I think that's a very important piece there where a lot of energy goes and getting that and painting that clear picture and communicating it to the to all the stakeholders, right? So that's one piece. Another one, I guess, process-wise, right, uh, how we work together, 
you know, I did mention product teams there, there earlier, being part of a, a growing organization where things are, are changing, right? Just working to, I guess, streamline those development processes, you know, agile, OKRs, sprints, et cetera, making sure, again, we're all working towards the same things and then addressing any, you know, challenges as they arise. And then lastly, as CTO and, you know, more CTO specific hat, right? And having that breadth of knowledge on the product and how it works and all the pieces is really that higher level solution architecture and how the, you know, different pieces fit together, you know, today, strategically, what we can pull where and so forth, and really working with the architects, tech leads on the different teams, again, you know, making sure we're, we're all aligned and, you know, making uh, the best decisions we can there for that. So. The sum up, I think, clarity there for the teams and organization, people, processes, and uh, focus on those. And then, of course, the technology and architecture track there as well. You mentioned you have a VP of engineering. Yep, yep. At what team size did you decide to hire one? And what would you say do you look to them for in your organization? So I think we had a VP of engineering now about two years or so. It was actually done still fairly early once we started having you know, multiple engineering managers in different development teams. It was at that point where we hired the VP. And then in terms of you know, actual responsibilities and what I looked them for, right, is a big focus on people, right? Making sure that we have the, you know, the right people, right roles filled, et cetera, and that the people have the, the tools that they need to work, right? And that having an impact and being as effective as, as possible. So that's the some of the main responsibilities of the VP here in this organization. Mm, okay, got it. And your other direct reports? You said you had a, a product VP of product, the senior director of product management. So that's of course uh, you know overseeing the team of product managers, right? Also uh, as the uh, product portfolio roadmaps. He's also been a good uh, or great driver in you know agile processes there as well throughout the organization. That's a big help. And then I do have another direct report that's a uh, senior director of architecture and innovation. That individual has a lot of background in you know open source, you know helping build and scale engineering teams, and helps with I guess some of the overall strategy and uh, leading the architecture and some special projects there as well. Okay, and. Do you, you have obviously a community lead person for the open source community? That's actually a position that we're actively hiring for there now, you know, an official director of community to help to be there. There has not always been that point person there here in Newark. So it's been um, individuals that have, you know, other responsibilities, either as developers or, you know, support engineers that have been, you know, stepping in there and, and helping out with the community. But that's something we're actively looking for here in New York. Mm, yeah, I can get that. So, any questions for me? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like do a lot of. That was a joke, but uh, if you do have one, you're welcome to. I'm curious about you know your journey into CTOdom. Do you get coaching, or do you have a peer group? What do you do to stay sane? Well, that's actually the question I was going to ask you. So that, that works well. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do have a 
mentors in the industry that I'm able to reach out to. And that's a big help that I've been in similar positions there before. And I do have a leadership coach that I do meet with biweekly. And that's, uh, that's had a great impact, right? How I lead, I'm able to, I guess, talk about some of those topics as well. And, you know, it's been a big help having that leadership coach, I'll say. Are you comfortable with sharing sort of some of the idiosyncrasies or nuances coming in as a developer, coming in as, as someone who engineered products into that role of CTO? Like, what are you and your leadership coach or what are some of the aha moments you got through coaching? Sure. Yeah, there's been quite a few there, right? As you can imagine, it's been you know, quite the journey there from individual contributor to leading a larger organization, right? There are you know, a few points, I guess, in my you know, journey here with these aha moments. I think you know, one of the first was, of course, going from an individual contributor day-to-day to more of a leader manager here in the org and having less time to do that work. So I think that was an interesting shift. It did take me a bit of time to get that fulfillment by seeing others succeed rather than directly seeing the results of the contributions myself, right? So, so true, so true. That was a problem, you know, took some time there. And now I'm at a point where um, I'm as excited seeing others, you know, build great things, right? And all the work come together, then I would have been, you know, again, just writing that and seeing it compile at the end, right? So that was a big, big shift. I guess the other on leadership specifically is how important it is to know yourself, right? And your own tendencies and behaviors, right? And be at least, you know, conscious of those. You can cater to those as you work with others. And also understanding how others may be, be different in their tendencies, right? And again, how to cater to those communications, specific individuals, giving them more heads up, right? Or, you know, again, everyone's learning how to work with others more effectively. You can only do that by really knowing yourself well. So I think that's something that came to light during the leadership you know, training as well. Big framework we use that for there is a DISC, you know, DIC, I'm not sure if you know that one in those styles and, and so forth. So there's a couple, there's a lot more there too. Yeah, I love that. I really love that insight around knowing self. We, in almost all our discussions in our peer groups, no matter what the topic is, we almost always have to first look at, well, what is my view on this? Or what is my need around this? Or what is my trigger point around this? You know, it's that first quadrant of emotional intelligence, which is the self-awareness part. And I think a coach is brilliant. I loved it when I saw that you have one. Uh, I think we all need to get out of our heads a bit and say, hey, am I crazy for thinking this? And then have someone you trust who can say, yeah, you're batshit crazy this you're a little bit crazy not... yeah <laughs> that's good that's good <laughs> cool jesse well i think we're done anything else anything you want to plug or anything you want to sure, tell us I'll, about i'll share that you know a bit on born my story if uh that you know, kind of journey from um user to cto we did have an article published on opensource.com there that just went live today so that'll, you know, elaborate a bit more on the story and, you know, kind of what that evolution was like for me. So there's a little plug. And yeah, I mean, uh, it was great being here and, you know, love talking around uh, open source and communities. 
I'll start following you on GitHub and seeing your contributions. <laughs> don't, don't follow me on GitHub, please. <laughs> that would be such an embarrassment. Cool, man. Well, I'm thankful. I, I know we maybe didn't think you'd jump into open source so much today, but I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I think you were great. So good luck. And we'll hopefully our paths will cross somehow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Nice meeting you. Okay, Jesse. Take care. Cheers. Okay, cheers.